Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Would you take your Bibles, open them to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to pick up in verse 5. Really, we're going to go back to chapter 10 a little bit. In a Bible study that I've entitled, By Faith, Enoch Walked with God. And we're studying the lives, if you're just joining us, we're studying the lives of men and women who believed God. That's what chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, it's actually known as the Hall of Faith. And I'm so grateful it's known as the Hall of Faith and not known as the Hall of Failure because each one of the people in chapter 11 of Hebrews were normal men and women just like you and me, filled with failures, filled with lapses of faith, but when God writes his Bible, when he writes the final word, he remembers them for their faith, not for their failure. And to me, that encourages me personally because God, he isn't magnifying my failure, he's remembering for the faithfulness that I have toward him. And I hope it encourages you because you could easily look at your life and say, well, I made a mistake there and I blew it there and I said that there. And you could be surrounded by your own failures. But when God looks out on us, he sees potential in us. He sees, as I was sharing with the brother last night, you know, it's a real difficult situation. But I looked him in the eye because I've walked with him for many years here in the church. And I walked, looked him in the eye and I said, look, I know it's hard right now, but I don't want you to forget how far you've come. I want you to remember how you walked in the room here. I want you to remember the first time we spoke. I want you to remember the depth of hopelessness and difficulty that you met and compared to where you are right now. And I'm sure it's true for you. Maybe not in the context of this church, but in the context of your life. Look how far you've come. Look at what God has done in your life. Remember today that even though you were faithless, God remained faithful. That even though you might have strayed to the left, and walked away to the right, God remained that pursuing, loving, gracious, forgiving God in your life. And here you are walking with him and living with him. That's chapter 11. Chapter 11 is the application chapter of the entire book, really, of Hebrews. Remember, Hebrews was written to a group of first century believers that were Jewish, So they had a cultural context that this book was written to. And the whole theme of Hebrews is the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. That that really, you sum it, the summary of Hebrews, the, the whole sum of the matter is simply this. Jesus Christ is sufficient. You don't need religion. You don't need religious people. You, you don't need a life of works, but rather by faith in Jesus Christ, you have all that you've ever been looking for and all that you'll ever need in life. You've been given all things, Peter said. We've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But like them then, we are faced with temptations to add to our relationship with Jesus. Like simplicity for some is just, well, I guess uh, it's just too simple. It's got to be more. There's got to be more than just believing it. There's got to be more than just trusting it. There's got to be more. And so they search after the more. And it makes you very vulnerable to false teaching. 
It makes you very vulnerable to being captured by our culture. It makes you very vulnerable to being taken advantage of by even churches and pastors and priests, perhaps. When you are not content abiding in Jesus Christ for the direction and the summary of your life. And so chapter after chapter, Paul was writing to the Hebrew believers not to go back to Judaism because Judaism pointed them to the coming Messiah, the Savior of the world. They've placed their faith in him, but now through the pressures of life, they've lost their family, they've lost their possessions, they've lost their cultural status. You could say that they've lost a whole identity in many ways because very few people in the first century believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and the few that did were ostracized by their family and friends. They lost literally everything. And while we haven't faced that ourselves, there is much loss that we face. There is much change that takes place. And so the question then is, if Jesus is the sufficient answer for my life, then how do I live it out? How? And the answer is in chapter 10. And it begins in chapter 10. Would you go to verse 36 in chapter 10? For the person that's wondering how, what next? In verse 36 it says, you have need of endurance. And remember when we studied this, you probably already circled it and you wrote next to it the Greek word hupomone, to bear up under the weight and the load. That you just have a need to steady on, to not quit, to take the next step, to do the next thing. You, you have need to endure what you're facing right now. That things will get easier. That the burden will lighten. And says, so that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and not tarry. And the just shall live by faith. How are we to apply these principles in our lives? How are we to live our life? It's by faith. So let me ask you, church, and I want you to answer out loud. How is it that we're to live our life? By faith. Let me give you the answer for every, every other time I ask this question. It's always by faith. It is your, the supreme principle in your life that keeps you tethered and connected to God, enjoying the benefits of God, enjoying God himself. It's by faith. So that the constant, continual attack in your life is for you and me not to believe God, not to believe in God, not to trust him at his word, not to believe the Bible when it says something so startling, so challenging, so powerful, and we just walk away going, I don't believe that. I don't believe that's for me. I don't believe, I don't believe what God is saying. I don't believe his promises. And so we come today to chapter 11, as we finish off, it says in verse 38 of chapter 10, now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to destruction, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. And that's the rest of the chapter. We're going to learn about these elders of the faith, those that have gone before us, and we're going to learn about their testimony. And it starts out with us in verse 3. It says, For by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things that are seen were not made of the things that are visible. 
by faith, verse 4, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was a righteous God, testifying of his gifts. And through it, he, being dead, still speaks. We were introduced to Abel, and by faith, we learned that he was a worshiper of God. How do you worship God, church? Say it again. How do we worship God? By faith. By faith. Today, we're going to learn that our relationship with God, our walk with God, is by faith. And really, the sum, by the time we end this chapter, the real bottom line is just going to be this. Every aspect of our life pleases God by faith. We're going to learn today that it's impossible to please God without faith. Your best efforts, your best actions separated from faith do not please God. But by faith, even the smallest, simplest, like like even when you give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, by faith, knowing that somehow God is going to use that in the person's life, not just to satisfy their temporary thirst, but to satisfy their spiritual thirst. When you do it by faith, it pleases God. And that keeps us all even. We all get to please God by faith. So let's meet a guy by the name of Enoch in verse 5. By faith, Enoch was translated so that he did not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Let me read that to you in now the New Living Translation. I like how some of the verse verse they translated, it says this. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. That's that, that sense of translated. Enoch was taken up into heaven without experiencing natural death. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that it rewards those who sincerely seek him. So Enoch, we learn, had a testimony of faith. And the testimony is faith. And the, 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 end, the end of his life, he's known as a man that pleased God. And I don't think there's many people, too many people listening to me right now that don't want to please God. I think that's a great way to live my life. I want to I be pleasing to God. I want my life to matter in this world, yes. But I want it to matter in this world in a way that pleases God, that honors him. I spent too much of my life. I spent too much of my life living to please myself, living to satisfy myself at the expense of many people around me, at the expense of the culture and society in which I lived, at my own personal expense, as I allowed the sinful habits in my life to erode my life from the inside out, destroying me not only spiritually, but destroying me physically. And I spent too much time living life to please myself. And God has opened a new avenue in our lives by faith, born again, learning how to please him. And we say, well, how is it possible for us to please God? Turn back to Genesis chapter 5 as we're introduced to Enoch for the first time all the way back in the book of Genesis. It seems like a complicated question, I know. 
Some of you are listening right now and you're like, man, I want to please God too. Tell me what I got to do. Tell me what I have to do. Tell me the actions of my life. Well, we're going to learn it in, in Enoch's life. It's a very simple answer. Notice with me in chapter 5, verse 18. Genesis chapter 5, verse 18. Jared lived 162 years and he begot Enoch. Now, if you like to write in your Bibles, you might want to circle Enoch. His name means dedicated. Enoch was a dedicated man. After he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years. He begot sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. Verse 21. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and begot sons and daughters. So that all the days of Enoch were 365 years and Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Two times we understand the life of Enoch. Two times it's mentioned. Enoch pleased God because he walked with God. He walked with God. Now, those of you that are new to Christianity, new to church, new to Bible study, walking with God or that phrase, walk with God, is, is a Christian phrase. You might even hear it referred to as Christianese. Like it's a new language you learn from the Bible. It's not necessarily a new picture because walking is really here a picture. When you, when you use the phrase walk with God, it actually is describing your lifestyle. You know, who you hang out with. When you're walking with someone, you're in the moment with that person. You're not with anyone else. You're enjoying the company of the people or the person that you're with when you're walking. So this phrase, walk with God, is used many, many times in the Bible to reflect the lifestyle in which you live. Because if you think of your own lifestyle, most of your life and movement is walking. And most of your life and movement is walking with someone. And walk is a pretty cool il illustration to use because walking implies forward motion. We very rarely, I mean, I might take a step backward here, but I don't call that walking. Walking always speaks of going forward. It also speaks of taking step after step, just one at a time. I know you have a long journey. Let's like say you, yeah, after service today, you, you're going to walk home and you know you got a long journey. It's a few blocks, maybe three blocks, four blocks around, and you're going to walk home and you think of the big journey, but you're going to take the big journey one step at a time. You're not going to skip any steps. It's going to be one foot in front of another. There's going to be a natural progress. Another thing about walking is that everybody tends to have their own walk like their own gait. Like you could see somebody from a distance and not necessarily see their face or see their clothes, but the way they walk, you can recognize them because they have their own stance, their own way they walk. They, they have some people walk faster, some people walk slower, some people take double steps. You know, everyone has their own walk. So when the Bible speaks of Enoch walking with God, it speaks of a lifestyle of relationship. And everyone has a walk. And here's the thing, there are two choices that you and I have spiritually of who we walk with. We will either A, number one, walk with God, or number two, we will choose to walk not with God. There isn't a third option. That includes the people that are in our lives. We're either gonna walk with God with people, 
or we're not going to walk with God with people. But there's not a third option. And that, therein lies the challenge for many believers. The challenge for many believers is that you think that you can walk in two different places at the same time. You think that you can have a relationship with God and walk with God, and at the same time, you believe you can also have a relationship with this world system, this, this ungodly culture, and enjoy life. But those of you that have tried this, as one person said, you think you have one foot in the world over here, you got one foot in the Lord, and over here, and you're like, I, I just can't make any progress. I'm never happy. As a matter of fact, you're probably a very frustrated person because you have enough God in you, you have enough God in you that the world you can't really enjoy. It's just not as fulfilling as it was before you were born again. And you have enough world in you where you're not fully enjoying God. You're not fully enjoying a lifestyle. Like when you choose to live and walk with the world and the world's ways, the course of this world, you know the, the world has its own course. It has, has its own way of doing things. Enoch lived in one of the most godless generations that ever existed. Enoch lived in a time where the oppression among followers of God was undeniable, where, where the mockery and the ridicule was overwhelming. And yet we learn in Enoch's life that his life, apart from everyone else, pleased God. Why? Because he chose to walk with God. So much of my time as a pastor, as a fellow believer, brother in the Lord, so much of my time is spent either encouraging someone in their walk in the Lord, which is always fun. I love that part of ministry. I love that part just to encourage you to keep taking steps of faith, to encourage you to keep going for it, to take that while. Yeah, go for it. Do, do what all that God has put on your heart. I love that part of ministry. But you know, the other part of ministry also has to do with your walk with the Lord. And much of my time is spent not just encouraging believers in their walk, but begging you, begging you, trying to paint a picture of what it's going to be like if you fail walking with the Lord. Like if you just blow it off, if you just treat it like it's no big deal, if you start to dabble in and start to look at and start to play around with the things of this world like, like it's not going to be that big a deal. Like you start, like when you walk, you're only going to walk in one direction. You don't walk in two directions. Jesus spoke of entering into salvation as a narrow path, a narrow. It's not the wide part where everybody has room. It's always the wide gate. No, it's the narrow way. It's the narrow path. And it seems through Bible study, constantly there's that begging of you that would you, would you get your walk right with the Lord? Would you consider where you're walking right now, the direction of your life, who you're investing your life in, where, what, like, like the whole, like, because if you don't get this right, and if I don't get this right, just living my life by faith, we're going to get to the end of our lives and it's going to be filled with regrets. But I'll tell you this, every decision you've made walking with God, you will never regret. It will never be a regret in your life. Every sacrifice you've made, every, every offering that you've given, every meal you've distributed, everything you've done in the name of Jesus Christ, walking with God, you will not regret. But choosing, choosing to live under the 
in the culture, you know, this, it doesn't take long to see our own culture is very similar, getting darker and darker until the coming of the Lord. And we're faced with the same choice that Enoch was. Will we by faith walk with God? This was so important in Enoch's life that it was mentioned twice. Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God. We come to the end where his life is the focus and the laser on his life is. And that walk with God translated into pleasing God. By faith, pleasing God. Only twice in the Bible is it mentioned and emphasized someone walking with God. Enoch and another guy by the name of Noah. In Genesis chapter 6 verse 9 it says, This is the genealogy of Noah. He was a just man, perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. We know that many more did. The whole chapter 11 is filled with men and women that walked with God, but these two are pointed out specifically, I believe, because of the culture in which they lived. That you can make it in the culture that you're in right now when you choose to walk with God. He pleased God. I was reminded of that other time in the scriptures where another person pleased God. Remember, Jesus was in the waters being baptized and the Father spoke from heaven and what did he say? This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. God in human flesh. And how did he live his life? Jesus summarized his life this way. He said this, I always do that which pleases the Father. (laughs) I love that. I live to do the will of my Father. And it's such a freeing way. Many people, they they describe walking with God as so restrictive and so heavy and so burdensome. No, it's the only way to please God. It's actually the place of great freedom to surrender. Consider these scriptures on the phrase walk with God. You ready? Using the word, you can just jot them down. I'll read them to you. It's a part of your new vocabulary. And it covers so many aspects of your life. Romans chapter 6 verse 4. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. So we have a new direction of life, and it's going to affect how we walk. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2 and walk in love as Christ also loved us Philippians chapter 3 verse 17 brethren join in following my example and note those who so walk so there is a distinction of those that are walking the pattern following God and those that aren't and Paul says I want you to notice the ones that aren't mark them because you have us as a pattern for many walk of whom I told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Enoch has something to say to us today, his testimony. The testimony he obtained is that you can live in the most wicked of days and still live in hope trusting God. You're surrounded with people that mock you, make fun of you. You know, the whole course, as Paul would write to the Ephesians, the whole course of this world is distributed and communicated through the education system and through the media. That's the, the world controls those things. 
Uh, educating and teaching a new generation, and then communicating constantly through, through the media, through, through movies, through TV, through the news, through, through whatever's going on, the new hip thing on YouTube, or all of the media is the stream of communication. That's one of the motivations that we had when, when we had the opportunity to purchase Grace FM, because you know the Bible describes the devil as the prince of the power of the air. And, and I believe that he's taken full advantage of taking control of the power of the air and communicating a message that undermines faith. Now, I am sure there is someone, at least one person in here, that has actually this week felt foolish because of your belief in Jesus Christ. Like something you watched or someone talked to you about, something you read and said, you know what, that, that's just dumb that you believe in God. Why would you believe in God? And just for a moment, you're like, yeah. Why would I believe in God? We have so much in advanced technology now. We have so much advanced knowledge now. We have so, we're so far ahead now. And that was for them then, and it's not for us now. And you just have this spiritual battle in your mind of believing the simplicity that Jesus Christ came to die for your sins. Because as advanced as technology gets, as advanced, the message of the media is that this is all there is. So live it up now. This is all you have. And we're going we're gonna to control you that, that thought pattern in your life from the moment you come out of the womb until the moment you leave. And it's all about now. Like the familiar philosophy. That's not new. It's actually very common in many generations. Let's eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. And this is all there is. But we're reminded every time we open the Bible, this is not all there is. <laughs> this is not heaven. You guys, gang, you're not in heaven yet. Aren't you glad about that? This is not heaven. This is earth. It's the proving ground and the training ground preparing us for eternity. And so here we are surrounded message after message after message after message that believing in God is foolish, that it's unwise. As we jumped into the book of Hebrews, we were reminded there are those that say, oh, you have blind faith. If you really investigated that, if you really thought, you know, you're just part of a church. They just want to think for you. They're going to brainwash you on and on and on and on you hear. So much so that you have no longer share your faith with people because you're tired of being made fun of and you're tired of being mocked and you feel like the culture is winning and you feel like you're never going to win. Listen, the culture is changed by one man being born again, and then two, and then three. That's how God changes culture. God changes culture by seeing a person get saved, and that person then goes home and shares the gospel with his family, and then he raises a godly generation, and then from generation to generation, the gospel message is passed down from child to, from grandpa to grandson, and from dad to daughter. It's passed down through life, through the believers of God, in and around the world. I know sometimes you kind of pray, Lord, I just, I, I just don't want to live in this culture anymore. I'm tired of it. It seems like evil's prevailing. It seems like evil's winning. And look what they're doing. And look how they're degrading you. And I just want to remind you, what do you expect from a godless culture? A God-hating culture. A culture that doesn't want anything to do with God. Doesn't want anything to do with his ways. And Enoch in a society very similar to yours and mine, lived a life that pleased God. Because not only are there those that have had doubts about their faith this week, but there are also those that think, I don't think I'm gonna make it. I just don't think I'm gonna make it. 
This is all this, all this stuff that I see and hear and watch is vexing my soul. It's an old King James phrase, vexing my soul all day, every day. And I don't just, I don't think I'm going to make it. But Enoch's testimony is a reminder that you will make it as you choose to place your faith in God and trust him as he leads you and guides you. So what does a walk of faith look like? Let me show you. Turn over to Titus chapter 2. I love this. Titus chapter 2. You and I, we're all related to God by faith, in grace. Like it's the gracious goodness of God that draws us in. And so the doctrine of grace is very important to us here at Calvary. However, there are those that when they emphasize grace, they love to emphasize freedom, freedom, freedom. Just go ahead and do whatever you want. Just make all the choices and along the way God will show you. It. Just, it's freedom. Freedom to do what you want is kind of like our culture's message because grace actually teaches us. The grace of God, our overwhelming appreciation for God's love actually teaches us. And I want you to see what grace teaches because it's not necessarily the emphasis upon freedom to do what you want but it's actually the grace of God teaches a freedom to not go into areas that will destroy you. You now have freedom. Listen, you have now, like, like some would emphasize whether it's freedom to sin and we'll just figure out when they sin, when they, but no, you actually, the grace of God is actually freedom, listen, not to sin. You actually are empowered now to live a life that pleases God. That's the power of God's grace. Listen to what Paul writes to young Titus here in chapter 2. Pick up in verse uh, 11, verse 11, Titus 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us, so mark these things, the grace of God's appeared, and this is what it teaches us, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. The grace of God has something to teach us on how to live life in a way that pleases God. Holy living, set apart. It's in this present age. So every age since the scriptures were written, this is an applicable truth. The grace of God says, look, the way to live and walk with God is to walk soberly, to stay clear-headed. The way to walk with God is to deny ungodliness, to say no to it, and worldly lusts. The, the way to walk with God is to look for the soon return of Jesus Christ. The way to walk with God, verse 14, is to know that you've been redeemed, you've been saved from every lawless deed, that you've been saved to walk in purity, that God is doing the work of purification, that you are his own special people that have an emotional response to him. That's what zealous is. You are excitedly, emotionally connected to God, wanting to live your life close to him. The grace of God teaches us how to walk. And it's starts with what we say yes to and what we say no to. You know, walking one foot in front of the other, one step at a time, 
forward progress. How? By faith. Trusting that when God says something is wrong, we trust him. We trust him that, you know, it's so wrong that I don't want to be a part of it. I don't want it to be a part of my life. Some of you know by your own personal testimony that when something's wrong, it's just wrong. It brings great damage. It brings great consequences, sometimes very lasting damage. It it takes away joy. Sin is so destructive. And the thing is, is that the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none of us that are immune to this. And so it's by faith that we trust God even in the difficulties. We trust God that if he says something's wrong, stay away from him. If he says something's right, embrace it. So come back now in verse 11 as we wind down here because pleasing God is tied with faith in two ways. And that's in verse 6. Because without faith, it's impossible to please him. So Enoch, he's living life, walking with God, trusting God, relying upon God, living in God, or what Jesus would say, abide in me and I in you. Let my word abide in you, walking out what my word is living through you. So with faith, without faith, it's impossible to please him because he who comes to God, number one, must believe that he is, and number two, that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Really what, what he's saying is, look, faith is believing God who is who he is, says he is, and that there's great benefit and blessing coming to him. That there is great benefit and blessing coming to him and living life according to his principles, according to his way, the way he designed us. I I think believing God is actually a little easier than believing he rewards those that come to him. That believing that there's actually a blessed path following God. I I think most people, if you talk to them, would say they believe in God. Most people would probably even say they believe in the God of the Bible. But many of those people have never surrendered their life to the God of the Bible. So they have this intellectual understanding of God as he's been explained to him, but they haven't come to him to surrender their life. They haven't come to him for the blessed benefit of obedience. And because so many don't believe that God rewards those who seek him, we don't choose to seek him first. We seek him second or third or fourth or if after everything's done, then we seek the Lord. Remember what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33? But seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all of his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. There's an addition in our lives when we seek the Lord. But here's what happens. We're overwhelmed with doubts and fears. We're overwhelmed with painful circumstances and difficulties we're overwhelmed with a, with a divided marriage and wayward kids. We're overwhelmed with drama and difficulty. So we just don't seek God anymore. And we have it backwards. We think, well, look at the, my life. There doesn't seem to be any benefit and any rewards. So if there isn't any benefit or blessing and reward, then why seek God anyway? And it begins the downward spiral like those in Hebrews were faced and tempted with away from God. Remember the Bible says we're not like those who turn away to destruction. That's not the pattern of our lives. That's not what a walk with God looks like. A walk with God is pressing in, in endurance. It's 
trusting in the hope. You know, the missing piece I find so often is actually this part in Titus where grace teaches us to look for the soon return of Jesus Christ. And I believe that's just missing in the church today. And you might even talk about, man, what are you so excited about? I'm excited because Jesus promised to return, and I can't wait to meet him face to face. And then what do people go, oh, you don't believe in that nonsense, do you? You know, especially around the holidays, right? People generally, and I, I, I do mean that word, generally enjoy Christmas and generally don't have a problem with baby Jesus, that a baby was born some, somewhere at some time, maybe was sent from God in the Bible. They don't have a general problem with that, but you begin to talk Talk to them about Jesus Christ coming back to rule and reign for a thousand years to make every wrong right and to execute real true justice? That's not celebrated. Like, you don't believe in that, do you? And it's that question that undermines, well, maybe I'm not to look for the soon return of Jesus Christ anymore. Let me just say, there is nothing in your life that will not be solved. There is nothing in your life that won't be taken care of when Jesus Christ returns. He will solve it all. And let me just say this. When you're looking to build a bridge with people with the gospel, like don't be believers are always looking for a fight, always want to make a point, always want to put your foot down. Instead, looking for places where you can build bridges with people so that they trust you and you earn their trust to share with them the love of God, not just in action, but in, in word. As you're looking to build a bridge, I want, you to, I want to remind you of something that most of all of us share in common, believer and unbeliever alike. And that's a sense of injustice. Most people have experienced deep pain by being wronged by someone else, by being hurt by someone else, by, by being taken advantage of, by being manipulated or misused. You know, the, the family drama that most families endure in one way or another Many times the root of it is pain and it's being offended and truly being sinned against and hurt. And you know what that does in a person? It rises up, even just so small, but it rises up a sense of wanting things to be made right. I want things to be made right. We call that justice. The problem is, is that our human definition of justice is rarely God's definition of justice. Because in our minds, when we have been hurt and we carry this hurt around, in our minds, justice seems to sound like this. I'm hurting, so I want the other person to hurt just a little bit more. That's why the Bible teaches us very early on, it's eye for eye, not two eyes for one eye. So you have some damage in your life. You want, well, I want to take all of their side away. And that would be, but then what does that do? That takes the scales and tips them the other way. And now you've got another hurting person wanting to hurt back and it never ends. But I'm telling you this, true justice will arrive at the coming of Jesus Christ. Justice will be yours and mine in him. That's why very, very clearly the Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You go, Ed, well, how do I live a life where I, where I believe God that vengeance is his? Because I don't see it and I don't feel it. 
We live it by faith. We trust God will sort it out. And that's often the missing part of our relationship with God. In our church and every church, everything is ingrained to get us looking down, looking down, looking down. This is it. This is all there is. Next paycheck, next bill, next house, next car, next, 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 before boom, it's over. But while we're living in the world, while we're living a life in the world, God is saying, I want you to look for, it will change the way you live your life as you look for and hasten the coming of the Lord. Enoch reminds us that he lived a life that walked with God, looking for God. He sought him, and he was rewarded by him. And that's his testimony. That's what we know. Heaven is ahead of us. And the only way that I'll be a benefit to you, the only way I'll benefit you in our relationship, our friendship as a pastor, as a friend, as a brother, is that I will live in the abiding reality of God in my life. That I'll trust him. So that I love God with all my heart, soul, and mind, and then what? I love my neighbor. I'm able to extend the love of God that I've experienced. I'm able to extend it to you and share it with you. One day, we'll be walking with God, and then we're not. That's known in the Bible as the doctrine of the rapture of the church. What a great doctrine. That there is a generation that, is, that will not face natural death. That they will be in the twinkling of an eye, according to 1 Corinthians, be caught up to be forever together with the Lord in the air. That God, he will come, he will send Jesus Christ, and he will come for his church. There will be a distinction. Those that are walking with him, those that are not. And those that are walking with him will be caught up together to be in his presence forever. But if we're not the generation that sees the rapture, we will see God soon enough through natural death. And we will face him and give account for our lives. And we will enjoy his presence. And the unbelieving world, they don't understand. When we seek him, We believe that he's there and we believe that he blesses and rewards the life that is called to walk with him. You know, I'm amazed because sometimes we're ashamed to call God our our father. We're ashamed of our relationship with God. But the good news is this, God is never ashamed of you. He's never ashamed of you and me. I'm so encouraged by it. One more thing before we go, because you can't miss this with Enoch. We don't have time to develop this, but I want to give you a little insight on the doctrine of the rapture. Now, the rapture of the church is different than the second coming of the Lord to rule and reign. The rapture of the church happens, I believe, biblically, before the last seven years of human history that is known in the Bible as Jacob's trouble or more commonly as the great tribulation period. I believe the rapture happens before the great tribulation period where Jesus Christ returns for his church. They're caught up together with him in the air to forever be with him. And then about seven years later at the end of the great tribulation period revealed for us primarily in the book of Revelation, Jesus Christ, see first he comes in the rapture for his saints. At the end of the great tribulation, Jesus returns with his saints. So we're already with him. Now, if you want to study this, I went in far more in depth You can just go to our app, up in the search bar, just put the word rapture, R-A-P-T-U-R-E, and I've laid it out in much more detail than I'll go here today because I just want to focus on Enoch because Enoch is a picture and a type of the rapture. You go, Ed, well, how? 
Well, it's so cool because it says that Enoch was translated so they didn't see death. He did not experience natural death, but instead was caught up immediately to be with the Lord forever. So there is a group, a generation that will be alive at the time of the rapture, will be caught up, and Enoch is a picture of that. He experienced a taste of this. So did Elijah, 2 Kings chapter 2. So did John the Beloved in Revelation chapter 4. Remember, he was caught up in the spirit, and he got this major revelation. Noah now, when we think of someone that, well, wait a minute, Ed, I think that the church should have to go through the judgment like everyone else. Well, that's possible, but I'll tell you this. Noah was saved from judgment. So the judgment of God came through the flood, and where was Noah? In the ark, floating above the judgment. He was floating on the waters of judgment. The ark becomes a type and a picture of Jesus Christ. Those that are in Christ, saved from judgment. Why? Because Jesus Christ on the cross took the full weight and wrath of God on our behalf upon himself. If there was a guy that would experience judgment, if there was a guy that you would expect in the Bible to experience the full weight of judgment, it would have been this guy by the name of Lot. He made a lot of sinful mistakes, put his family at great risk and danger. And I mean, the, the things that Lot is known for are horrendous. But do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that Lot was saved from judgment. And so not only do we have a picture of translating into the presence of God, bypassing death, but we also have pictures in the Bible of men and their families being saved from judgment. And so suddenly, instantly delivered. Now I know a lot of people like to argue about, well, when was the rapture? I'm not sure about the rapture is a brand new event. It's not, but I'm not, I'm not interested in arguing about it. I just want you to know this. Wherever you fall in the spectrum, I want you to do this. Look for the coming of the Lord and live your life accordingly because he's returning. And he wants a church prepared and ready for him. Well, no, Ed, I'd rather argue. Well, listen, listen, listen. Stop wasting your life trying to make a point. Please, because the point has already been made. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. And by a relationship with him, you will be a man or a woman walking by faith, pleasing God and serving the people that are around you. Don't be the kind of person, you know, there's kind of people that there are, they're a blessing when they come. They're a blessing, you just enjoy them, they're a blessing when they come, you enjoy their fellowship and then there are a few people that are a blessing when they go. So don't be that person. Be that person that's a blessing when you step into someone's life where they love you and trust you. Yeah, you might have to say some hard things. You might have to say some things that are difficult to hear, but you say them in such a way where your love is never, never questioned. And so people, well, I'm gonna argue about this and I wanna argue about that. No, look, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is coming again. He is. And grace teaches us that we would do well to look for him, to expect him, and even as you talk about this, you know, so you might go to work and, well, what would you learn? That you, I know you went to church. What did you learn? Well, I learned about the blessed hope of Jesus Christ and he's returning. And you can imagine, you can imagine the kind of pushback you'll get. But it's the people that give the most pushback that are often the closest to breaking before the Lord. 
And so don't give up on them. Pray for them. Love them care for them. So Father, we, we are thankful for Enoch and his testimony. We want that same testimony of one that pleases you. Uh, it's not through some rituals or religion or we just want to live a life that pleases you, that honors you. We, we want to live in a way that our testimony, we saw it with Abel. He was a worshiper. Enoch was a walker and we want those in our lives. We want our walk of worship. And Lord, I, I know that as we head out of a year and into a new year, um, there's a lot of pain and a lot of difficulty in this room right now, a lot of fears and anxieties. It's the human condition. And I'm grateful that you meet us in the human condition with a supernatural love and a supernatural power. And so I pray you'd meet those in the room today, those listening on the radio, those watching online, that you'd meet them with a supernatural um, <clears throat> like just your presence, like, like I don't even know how to describe it, God, that you would make yourself known to them, that you would remind them. I pray right now, Lord, I just get this burden, like there's a, someone listening to me that just is always the victim, and that's kind of the habit that they developed, like this victim mentality, and I pray that you would replace that in their lives with that mentality of being a victor, that we're not just overwhelmed by our circumstances, but we always follow you in triumph, Christ. You always lead us in triumph. And so we're not a victim of our circumstances because you're working all things together for the good, for those that love you and those that are called according to your purpose. And, and we are men and women that trust you with our lives. That's even when we don't understand what's going on, we commit that to you. We, we offer it to you and we continue living by faith. I'm grateful your word says, you, you, it doesn't say that we live by understanding. That's it. We just can't. But instead, we live by faith. So I just pray, God, because that whole victim thing, it's also, it's coming from pain. Like it's coming from hurt. And we want to walk in the healing power of your spirit. So you just touch that area of pain bring healing God just like you did to the physical you do to the spiritual you do to the emotional you do to the mental pains and hurts and burdens that we carry and I just release that Lord I release and just encourage the work of your spirit and I pray for more faith to be in the room I pray for more faith to be exercised in our lives I pray God that you would take us from glory to glory and strength to strength I pray that we would learn how to walk with you like Enoch how, how we would learn to say no to things and yes to you. And on this last Sunday of the year, God, thank you. Through the ups and the downs, through the highs and the lows, you're faithful and you remain faithful. That even though I was faithless, you don't change. You, you don't abandon you don't turn your back on us. And I pray for the wayward husband today. I pray for the disturbed uh, children that are worried about their, about their parents' marriage and don't even know how to deal with it. I pray for the grieving. I pray for the wayward son, the wayward daughter, that not only physically would they return, but, but spiritually they'd learn to walk with you. 
they learn to honor you. I pray for the single parent. As they close one more year, it's been hard and it's been challenging and it's been overwhelming. I just pray for them, Lord. I pray you'd encourage them and lift their burdens. I pray for the victories this year. Some things cleared up this year that went well and, and some things happened that are awesome and, and uh, finally that's over and finally we turn the corner on that and we rejoice and we're thankful and we bless your name for your faithfulness. And um, Lord, would you pour out your spirit on us that we would just walk with you in deeper ways this year, closer, more steady, more focused, more forward, And if you're here today as the church is praying, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to give you that chance. I want to invite you to receive the Lord, to repent of your sins, to choose to follow him, to turn away from your sinful past. The Bible word for that is repent. And to choose to follow God today, to choose a whole new walk of life. And so if you're here and you say, Ed, that's my life, I want to follow God, would you just stand to your feet? I want to pray with you. And we want to be happy with you. That's why we do it publicly. God bless you. We want to rejoice. We want to be happy. It's a life-changing thing to say, you know what? God has spoken to me and I want to dedicate my life to him. God bless you guys. It's exactly the same place that somebody responded last night. God, that's the special seats right there. God bless you guys. God bless you. And the good news is, is that any seat any place. You're sitting in your car right now. You're in a hospital room. You are in jail. I know many people gather around the radio in jails to listen to the service. Well, God sees you there and he wants to release you, change you from the inside out. And what a way to end the year to watch you, God bless you, to watch you, to see you and to be a part of what God's doing in your life. Is anyone else before we head out? And I'm asking you for a public response. It's not necessary. None of this stuff saves you. Only God saves. But it's all symbolic, right? God is really into symbols. He's really into making us remember through pictures and types. And so today can be a mind like this is it. This was the last church service of the year. And that's when the last service of the decade is where God got your heart. Isn't that cool? It's a great way to remember it. Anyone else? Okay, so everyone can open their eyes, especially you peekers, you're already open. You guys see people are standing. Would you get up, you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and go over and put your, lay your hand on them. Don't get weirded out by this, guys. This is a part of the body of Christ. So it's here and over here. And I just want you to know that you're doing this in community. I know it's a big room, a lot of people, but it's not. It's you and the Lord. It's you and the work of God in your life. And you're not alone in this. There are people that love you and care for you you haven't even met yet. But this happens in community. This happens in relationship. And so I want you to pray out loud with me and you can repeat after me. And just feel the sense of the people around you. Feel their presence. Because they're, they're, they're a representation of the presence of God. The spirit of God dwelling in them. So you can pray this with me, okay? You're talking directly to God. You could say this. Dear God, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I believe you sent Jesus Christ to live for me, to die for me, and I believe Jesus rose again from the dead to save 
my soul. And I dedicate my life from this day forward to following you, God, and walking with you. Help me to turn away from my sinful past and to surrender my life to you. And Father, I pray for anyone, anywhere that has that sense of your presence in their life and that desire to follow you, that you would honor that the seed of the gospel has fallen on good ground. Not dry, not rocky, but good soil. And that we'll get to see them grow up and see their lives transformed and see their kids and their grandkids and see it happen over and over again until you return. So bless these that came to you today in Jesus' name. Everyone says, amen. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.